The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bryans. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, Shields can't keep England out. North Macedonia wave the white flag. And WSL title rivals set for a showdown. It's Kate Borsay here with Lindsay Hooper and Aston Villa and former Lioness defender Anita Asante. Welcome back to the show, Anita. How are you? Thank you for having me, Kate. I'm very well. Thank you. What have you been up to recently? I know that there's a book that you've been involved in um, and it's that point in the season, I suppose, where you get a little bit of downtime. Yeah, I've just been, you know, training away during the international break and I got luckily asked to um, be part and contribute to this book uh, uh, about black players and the new formation of the game. And uh, Jeanette Kwachi, you know, she contacted me and said, I'd love to profile you and your background and I want to know your story and how it all began. Excellent. So when is this book out? Um, it's coming out in the next week, next week, I believe. Um, oh, wow. So relatively soon. And I should be getting my copy very soon as well, which I'm looking forward to just flitting through all the pages and, and seeing how they, you know, how it comes across. I'm always shocked by the people that that reveal the challenges they had even getting to training. I know that was the case for Nikita Paris, wasn't it? I think Mo Marley used to pick her up and <laughs> yep. take her to training. And did you have any of those where you just you just can get there sometimes? Yeah, I mean, I've had stories of you know my dad. He used to work night shift, so you know he'd come in from work, and the next morning or whatever, he's taking me to tournaments up and down the country. And I always used to think like. You know, does this man even get any sleep? Um, so, you know, things like that. And, you know, I remember um, my dad, I think, being late to pick me up one time from a a, a tournament, you know, where we've got a, a minibus with a, a bunch of players. And he must have just overslept because he was exhausted, you know, and being like, <laughs> any danger is he getting here? You know, and you're that nervous <laughs> kid, like, because it's my dad forgotten about me type thing. But just those little stories and, 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 and memories, you know, but it's all part of the journey and all part of the people that help you get to where you got to and, and the sacrifices that they make as well along the way. Well, to save people searching furiously to find out what this book is called, we will do the hard part for them. So it's called A New Formation, How Black Footballers Shape the Modern Game. And as you say, it's out in the next week or so, so people can look out for that in bookstores or online or wherever they want to, to get a copy. You've clearly made a huge contribution to the game in, I can't believe this, 20 or so years now that you've been <laughs> a player, 70 caps for England. The Lionesses, they've been playing their World Cup qualifiers this past week, and it's been a goal fest for them. We're going to get your thoughts in just a moment, Anita. Take the corner short though. Toon queuing over the back post. Wide is there. Time for him. Went for goal. Following up a fourth. A fourth for Beth Mead. Oh, here's him. Oh, that is beautifully done. And pulling it back. And Ella Toon finishes off a really good move from England. 
Northern Ireland nil, England five. On Tuesday, England travelled to face Northern Ireland and the roar of more than 15,000 fans at Windsor Park. Uh, to score in this one, you had to be 23 or under. Lauren Hemp kicked things off in the first half, a one-touch slot lifted over the keeper. Whether it was brilliant or if it was accidental, we don't know, but England will take it. Northern Ireland battled to keep the Lionesses out, but a flurry of England goals in the second half put World Cup qualification out of the home side's reach. Lucy Bronze beat several defenders to feed Ella Toon for England second before Lauren Hemp picked up a Leah Williamson through ball, took it round the keeper and finished for a brace. After a series of stepovers, Toon fed Stanway for another and then Stanway finished off for the 5-0 win, hitting in a bouncing ball for a brace. Nice alliteration there. Thank you, producer Sophie. Uh, Anita, a, a really good display by England in this one. Let's talk about what we now know, because since Serena Wiegmann's managed the team, it's been about trying to fit together the pieces, hasn't it, as we imagine what the side might look like uh, for the home Euros this summer. After watching this game, what are some of the key points that you walked away with? Well, I think it's been obvious in all, all the games that England have played in their qualifiers that a lot of the strengths come through the wide wide areas, you know, through Hemp and through Mead on the opposite side and a lot of our attacking overloads where we're at, uh, able to affect the opposition comes through that. I think Kira Walsh and Leah Williamson as well have a good partnership in the midfield. It's like it feels like a strong spine and a good balance of players who have the good understanding of how to, you know, attack and play forward passes, but also ensure that there is balance behind the ball defensively, which is creating that kind of, I think, trust for those players like a hemp and a bronze to get forward and join in. I know she experimented a bit again with Carter on the left-hand side as a left fullback, again, showing the depth and versatility of players who can play in multiple positions for the squad, which is always very useful going into a tournament when you're going to face different teams, different styles of play. And also you don't know what will happen with your squad in terms of injuries and, and illnesses and things like that. So you want to know that players can adapt. But again, I just think um, there's confidence in this team. You're seeing the goal fest, but you're seeing players who are like Toon, who is taking stepovers in the box and is brave enough to go 1v1, mm. you know, and take her opportunity and slot players in. And of course we know Ellen White, will always pop up with a goal or two. So we have that reliable number nine that England needs going into the tournament. On Leah Williamson and the fact that she's in midfield for England, yet at club level is playing more of a defensive role, is that a huge ask of her? Are we asking too much? Will her position at Arsenal eventually develop more into a midfield role as well, do we think? Well, I, I've played both midfield and defence throughout my career for England and other clubs. So I can almost relate to Leah in this instance. But I think when you look at the modern game and the way teams are playing um, out of the back in terms of their build-up play, they're utilising defensive players that can play forwards who are brave enough to carry the ball past you know, a front-line press and look to play people in between. So I don't think it really affected that much because it's almost doing the same thing, just a bit higher up the pitch. Yeah. Still asking her to be brave, still asking her to be positive, to look forward first, to find our attacking threats. And, and she's very comfortable at doing that, both in her, her passing distribution and her range, but also in her ability to dribble and carry the ball. 
Yeah, I don't think she needs to be set necessarily, you know, marking her as a midfielder. I think she can she can play back if she needs to support the back line as a back four or she can move forward to the midfield area as well. I think it's really important that Leah Williamson has that flexibility. I was looking at how Serena Wiegmann uh, for this game and the one against North Macedonia as well, which was a complete goal route. But I was having a look for those players in regular starting positions and those players constantly shining and and. You know, without being too obvious, Ella Toon, Beth Mead, Lauren Hemp, 10 goals between them in those two games, plus two in each game for Georgia Stanway. So you're starting to see real standout performers here. And it's it's wonderful to see, isn't it? Players combining. And in both games, in the midfield, Stanway, Walsh and Toon, uh, and up front, Mead, White and Hemp, those positions were fixed in both games, actually. And those players linking up well. So if we look at Toon, Mead and Hemp, Four assists as well uh, against North Macedonia. All three players again with assists. So they're constantly performing in both games. Great cutbacks from Hemp on the wing. And what I what I've really enjoyed seeing is Hemp and Toon interchanging positions from the left wing to the centre. So they're almost complementing each other by by sort of swapping in and out of those central and wing positions as well. And of course, Leah Williamson then combines into that as well. So I think when 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 we look at nailed on players. We've got to very seriously look at those six, haven't we, Anita? So Stanway, Walsh, Toon, Mead, White and Hemp. Would you agree or are there other players that should be knocking on the door for a starting berth? You could look at Beth England, for example. Yeah, I would agree with you, Kate. I think those players have been consistent in their performances and hence why I think Serena Wiegmann has opted to utilise them and their connections because ultimately it's about the relationships they build in those games um, and and that kind of understanding and having that second sense of where my teammate's going to be and finding those balls. And, and that's the hardest part of the game is to create and score goals. That's what, you know, top players in the professional game get paid to do. So if you have that chemistry, you know, why are you going to affect it, you know, in, in, in other ways? I love Beth England as another option. It's just, I think, unfortunate that she hasn't had a lot of minutes I think, in, in this process with England at the moment. I'm sure people are screaming Russo as well, you know, in terms yeah, of... Yeah, well, she is another option. Yeah. 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 But is she a starting option for you, Linz? I mean, how do you feel about if you're going on a 4-3-3, for example, or you're using a combination of these players in sort of midfield forward positions, Stanway, Walsh, Toon, Mead, White and Hemp, does that, does that feel natural to you now looking at that? One of the things I take into consideration, and and I'm not sure whether this ever comes into play when you're in camp, Anita, but I look at who plays for which club and how much they have that combination already so that they can take it into England. It's not needing as much work because it's there all the time. They're working on it. So if you look at Walsh, Hemp and White, I think that makes sense because they all know each other from club football. I always think as well with defence, if you've got a centre-back pairing that are repairing in real life, in domestic football, then that's always a lot easier. I mean, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you, Lindsay. I think, like I've said, chemistry is a lot to do with football and and and, and that understanding your teammate. And if they're training day in, week in, week out, they're naturally going to build that. And I think when you look at it, they, you can see the connections on the pitch and they're working. The only time I would look at an alternative situation, like we mentioned with Russo, is perhaps when it isn't going so well 
and you're needing that bright spark. Yeah, you need another to, option to, to come in and and, and mm-hmm. provide another option and to take their opportunity. And you know, she'll be a young, motivated, um, and then obviously an exciting player who, you know, if she gets her opportunity in the tournament, could could absolutely light it up. And yeah. we haven't even mentioned Fran Kirby. Are we going to be mentioning? We her haven't, name? have we? Well, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> You know, yeah. she's not playing for Chelsea at the moment, but I imagine she will return before the end of the season. If she comes back and is electric, does she automatically come in for you? I mean, Fran is obviously, she's got to be, for me, in, in the team, in the squad, in some shape or form. And like, it will be game dependent. I think it's always to do with the opposition as well. Mm. Um, you know, she's a player that I think offers creative flair in a way that some of our other midfielders don't necessarily do with her 1v1 play when you need someone to go up against the back line and dribble at them, you know, and Mm. force them to make decisions. She's that type of player. So she's definitely going to be influential and maybe even the games that are really tight and you need creativity. You need that kind of off the cuff style of play. Fran will definitely feature. We know that Mary Earps is the preferred goalkeeper. You know, certainly Hannah Hampton should feel, you know, rightly proud of her performance. She started against North Macedonia, but it was Mary Earps in this one. So that looks pretty nailed on, doesn't it? If we look at England's back line, are we feeling pretty confident about who might start there? Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I actually really enjoyed seeing Millie Bright play alongside Jess Carter in some of the games prior. Again, another relationship. See, I like that because they play together (laughs) at Chelsea. Yeah, I do. (laughs) You know, um, I think, um, yeah, there's a strong understanding between them. And then obviously you can swap Williamson into the midfield in that case. But the thing with our fullbacks, you know, if Demi plays on the left, for example, she's more, I think, uh, more of a conservative style left back you know, offers that defensive balance and cover, whereas Lucy Bronze, you know, will definitely get a higher up the pitch and create those overloads. So, you know, we have to be mindful, especially when we start to play, you know, the top opposition in the world of that space and and who's going to provide that cover and how we defend those kind of channels. If Alex Greenwood does what she does for City and moves to central defence alongside Millie Bright... Does that create an opportunity? She's been unbelievable all yeah. season. You know, she's been yeah. a, um, just, you know, one of the first defenders you would definitely name on the, yeah. on the team sheet. So, you know, for me, she has to play because her her vision, her, you know, her... her set-piece ability. Yeah. Her distribution. Set, yeah, yeah. Set-piece yeah. ability. And I was ability. about to say the set-piece as well, specialism. You know? that, that, that certainly helps and will help against tougher opposition as well. Do England need to start faster? Than it? Do they need to be more clinical in this one? Serena Wiegmann said that it was a tactic to keep Northern Ireland working uh, really hard in the first half in order to tire them out. But it did take 26 minutes to register the first goal. Is this is this something England should be doing? <laughs> We're smiling. It's Am a goal of 26 minutes. Yeah. Well, well, look. It was a very strong performance by England and some might say, well, I wanted them to get in there much quicker. And they did have earlier chances. I wanted them to be clinical right from the off. Yeah, I think it's 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 easy to get a bit hypercritical. I think when we start to see England... Yeah, all right, all play- right, Anita. <laughs> no, but you know, we do it as well as players, but you know, when they're playing opposition that are obviously much lower ranked than themselves, North Macedonia, Northern Ireland that, you know, there should just be a flurry of goals instantly. But, you know, they are still trying to play on script with the manager's game 
plan in mind to show the discipline, to show that they can, you know, fulfill the objective that the manager wants. And and having a patient game is not necessarily a bad thing because it shows that they can control things, that they can stay calm, that they still have a belief that they will get chances. And of course, they need to be more ruthless. That 26 minutes as well might be more reflective of the job that Northern Ireland were doing. They only turn pro yeah. in the build-up to these Euros. Yeah. So maybe that's where their, their engine is taking them at the moment is about that first half an hour in terms of concentration against a side like England. But yeah. maybe this gives all Northern Ireland fans out there real encouragement that when this team has been in a pro setup for some time and they can get those energy levels, you know, over the hour mark, 70, 80, 90 minutes, get into the same level. There is a lot they could do. They could cause, I think there's a lot of home nations at the minute. When you look at the way Scotland performed against Spain as well, I know they they lost, but there, there are moments within all of them that I think show real promise, Wales as well, that they could cause upsets here and yeah. there. What the Northern Ireland team might not be too chuffed with, though, is the comments from their manager, no. Kelly Shields. Oh. After the game. Uh, So in short, basically said that women are more likely to concede several goals in a short space of time because women are more emotional than men. It was quick to point out it wasn't just a Northern Irish issue. You know, well, say that to um, Southampton at the weekend when they shipped all the goals against Chelsea. Yes, and yeah, and that has been pointed before. out as well. So, mm. Anita, it feels only appropriate for me to go to you on this one. A, it's shocking that he said it, but also it's just a ridiculous thing to say. Yeah, I, I was surprised uh, to read that yesterday because, I mean, I just felt like we're so far beyond this now, you know, with, with progression, without having these gender norms and stereotypes um, about the way women's emotions affect their ability to do their jobs well and, and respond to situations like conceding goals. I just thought it was a ridiculous statement, to be honest, and it can be applied across football and it has nothing to do yes. with gender or emo- it's just to do with the game and how... It says know, a lot teams- about him though, doesn't it? If that was your manager, Anita, suddenly isn't <laughs> all respect going out the window and you're thinking, when you hear those comments, I think that's a huge moment for Northern Ireland, just those comments, how the players then work for him now because they might just be, well, you don't get us, you don't get, you don't get it at all. Yeah, I mean, if it was me, yeah, if it was me, I'd be looking at him sideways. I mean, because... (laughs) Would you go up and speak to him, Anita, being the kind of senior player you are, being the voice of reason, very balanced person, very educated person, would you, would you take it upon yourself to go and speak to him? Yeah, absolutely. I think it has, it has to be done because ultimately you lose the respect of your, your players, your team in that instance, in that moment. Um, and they're going to be questioning, oh, you know, does he, does he believe in us? Does, is this how he views our mentality? He doesn't see what we do as a team and our commitment and our, you know, our desire and our willingness to try to keep progressing and improving that he would say such a base comment. You know, because if that's his belief, that's not something you can change necessarily. Mm-hmm. You think you think that's related to women yeah. being women. OK, yes. well, they're always the going that, to be women. So, yes. And doesn't yeah, it reveal, reveal as well the, the esteem that he might hold women's football in in comparison to men's? Yeah, absolutely. Because the point is the game is evolving all the time. And as you mentioned earlier, Lindsay, with the professionalization, full time players, the quality just gets driven up 
year upon year for all home nations and for players across the country. So it, it makes you question, like, how far can he take this group? And yeah, what is his yeah. um, his ultimate ambition, if that's really what he thinks, you know? Can he yeah. really drive it on and, and, and forwards? And yeah. would he rather be working with uh, supposed men that aren't as emotional? <laughs> I don't know. That's what I was reading into it. I just can't help it. It really was a huge moment, I thought, for, yeah. for the team going forward. We don't want to take too much away, though, for, from the moments that they did show. Having known that they've only just gone into this professional setup, I thought Sarah McFadden was brilliant. And um, yeah. I know from yeah. a defence point of view, Anita, you might have a few words to say about her. Yeah, you know, McFadden, especially in the first 20, 30 minutes, I thought was sensational. You know, she got blocks to the ball. She read the game very well. I think when she got those tackles in, it just spurred her teammates on and they found more energy. And it also, you could hear the crowd, the crowd were reacting to to those moments. So she seems like a good leader in terms of the way she performs and the trust you know in and around the group because there were times where Northern Ireland were actually playing quite risky in my opinion out of the back but she was always there to to clean up and ensure that you know they kept uh, at least solid for for quite a while. Some good chances uh, for Northern Ireland there was a good effort on the half turn from Simone McGill denied by Earps, Laura Wade forced Earps into a low save from the edge of the area as well. And I'd just written here that they didn't allow England to quite get into flare gear. Which is how I <laughs> That's it. a classic hate. That is classic hate. In, flare gear. In, I'm going to have in, to write that one down. In the first half of the first half, <laughs> if you see what I mean. Uh, so there we go. All right, let's, let's wrap that one up there, uh, shall we, and talk about England's other game. Well, the earlier qualifier had also given England a chance to celebrate uh, with a glass of mead, perhaps. Uh, that feels a bit medieval, that, doesn't it? Um, it would be fitting, though, because Beth Mead scored four in this 10-0 win against North Macedonia, opening the scoring in the fifth minute. Ella Toon also bagged a hat-trick. Georgia Stanway topped up the total with a brace. And Ellen White headed in her 50th goal for England to become England's second top goal scorer of all time, Men and women take a bow, Ellen White. So she's just behind Wayne Rooney now, isn't she? Because we've talked a lot about England, can we just have a few quick moments of appreciation for Ellen White? Uh, Anita, someone uh, you know very well and have played with as well. This won't surprise you, presumably. I guess the only thing that could have prevented her would have been the injury issues. Yeah, no surprise to me at all. I think Ellen White's just a, a phenomenal England player. And, you know, she she loves playing for England and in, in, in all these games in the qualifiers, she's she's demonstrated that. I think um, she was rather humble, actually, when she heard about yeah. her achievement and her record. And She couldn't and really guess... give a stuff about it, could she? <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I really like about her and what I think she's introduced to her game, Anita, is this clinical finish in the sense that she always goes for goal now. There's no trying to take a touch. She just immediately tries to get the shot away, which I think is what we need in a, in a target woman at least. So that's that's really satisfying from that point of view. I thought Beth Mead in this one was great. Obviously four goals, a third England hat-trick in six months. She was motivated after not being selected for the Olympic squad. I think you can see that. Is that what it does when you get overlooked for something, Anita? Because you, you've got that grit about you as well I, I'm sure you want to prove the the dad she never gets wrong. overlooked for anything though do you well no Anita <laughs> hasn't really in over nearly 20 years has uh, she <laughs> no I, I have trust me but I think with um me sorry I, I I think that's comes with it from within you know she 
that's her personality. That's how she took that moment. You know, another player might take it a different way, but she mm. used that energy to, to go, you know what, I'm going to prove everyone wrong and I'm going to show you about and I'm going to come back with a bang. And she basically has done that and, and, and fair dues to her because it's it's paying off for her personally, but it's great to see the sort of value that she's added to this England side. On a sour note, if you take into consideration the combined goal tally in some of these matches, I mean, just North Macedonia and Latvia alone, that's in the last two matches of those, 30 goals, 30 nil. How much do you learn in these games, Anita? Do we really know what these players are made of because of the opposition? Well, you can always learn a lot from every game. It just depends on what your focus is, is, I think. Yes, the opposition isn't necessarily a very strong test for England, but we get to learn about do the players take these games for granted? Do they show how professional they are? Do they apply themselves properly and effectively? You know, and and they've they've shown that because they've absolutely been clinical in, in across both these games. They've played a very patient game. They've played with quality at times, and and that's what you need to see. You need to see are these players disciplined enough to to not take any game for granted and know that you know they have to perform and perform at a consistent level whilst also building those relationships. And to be honest, they should be seeing these games as a fun game to play you know, where they want to show what they're about, both individually and collectively, and 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 want to just have the thrill of scoring goals, because scoring goals is not an easy thing to do, you know, especially when you meet top opposition. So when you get that feeling and you build that muscle memory, that that's going to be beneficial going into more competitive matches in the future. Yeah, some good points there. Thanks, Anita. Well, this week has officially marked the end of the Steph Horton captaincy era. Leah Williamson has taken over the armband. Quick moment to reflect on Steph. Uh, You know, again, someone you've got great experience of, uh, Anita. Have you got any favourite Steph England captain moments? What do you think of when you think of her captaining England? (laughs) Well, I just think Steph has had some incredible moments, especially as a set piece taker scoring some unbelievable free kicks but actually the one memorable one for me was back for the the home olympics in 2012 when she scored that unbelievable free kick against new zealand in our opening group game and i remember running over the ball her scoring and throwing her hands in the air and us all just rushing Mm -hmm. towards her in complete elation but i think you know especially off the back of the injuries that she had had missing major tournaments in 2007 and 2009. The way she has come onto the England scene, captained this team to a bronze medal in 2015, just shows her character, you know, her determination to get back at the highest level and and really show all her qualities as well. It's clearly been a tough year injury-wise for her and I wouldn't rule her out, you know, not coming back into the frame. She might not actually be captain again but you look at how Millie Bright and Ellen White are named as backups and you do wonder whether when she's fit again she she might be valuable in one of those positions I I always think about that indirect free kick you know against Cameroon in France I was there for for that game at at the World Cup and one it was just baffling that you know an indirect free kick inside the box anyway (laughs) and then she just leathered the ball in to to score the opening goal against Cameroon and it was just a crazy game that one was I will never forget it which is probably why it sticks in the memory but 
that is one of the things I'd say. How about you, Kate, just before we move on? I think just for me, it's it's her maturity and that and that natural leadership quality that she's got and the fact that she can overcome moments of adversity as well. You think about uh, that World Cup semi-final against the USA. She failed to convert, didn't she? A crucial penalty, an absolute moment of heartbreak for her. And of course it would have got to her, but if anyone could take that, it would be Steph Horton. She's mentally so, so strong and we've seen so many examples of that. So it's just really, you know, credit that she's been in that position for such a long time. She wasn't the kind of natural choice I don't think back eight years ago well she was certainly a little bit of a punt I think that that's fair to say isn't it Anita because the previous captains had been you know Casey Stoney Kelly Smith Faye White and she was much younger really coming into the role yeah she was and you know every captain has their own um they bring something different to the group, you know, and I think as a younger captain, she could connect with the next generation as well and, 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 and help that transition, you know, for that, for that England squad that was moving forward, because you need that, you need that continuity. And she'd been around the group. She'd been around senior players like Casey and Kelly Smith, Faye White. She knew, you know, what they were like, and she could probably pick up good, good um, advice and experience from just being around them and the habits and standards mm. and bringing the culture of what it means to be obviously a lioness. And I think she's done that job, you know, exemplary, really. Well, of course, we all get behind the new captain, Leah Williamson, now. Uh, just a quick roundup as well from the other World Cup qualifiers uh, before we move on. Ada Hegerberg scored a hat-trick in her first game back for Norway. We shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> of course she did. Uh, Scotland lost 2-0 to Spain. A big improvement on their 8-0 defeat in November. I touched on that earlier. And that means Scotland are now second in the playoff position. Natasha Harding scored on her 100th cap for Wales. Congratulations to her. Uh, Wales beat Kazakhstan 3-0. Wales are also in the playoff spot below France, uh, who beat them 2-1 last week. And the Republic of Ireland got a vital point. One-all draw against Sweden. Great result this for them. Uh, With that, they go third in Group A with a game in hand on second place Finland. Uh, It's all still to play for then for those 2023 World Cup spots. This is the Athletic Women's Football Podcast with Kate Borsay and Lindsay Hooper. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a subscription now for just £1 a month for the next six months by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. In other news, Everton have a new manager for next season. They've chosen Brian Sorensen from Danish women's side Fortuna Horing on a two-year contract. If you haven't heard of Sorensen, he spent 15 years working in construction whilst he was also getting his UEFA Pro licence. He's helped develop the likes of Penilla Harder. Uh, that's one of the names that he can brag about bringing through. <laughs> he reached the Champions League quarterfinals in 2017, won six major domestic trophies. Let's see what our former construction worker can build at Everton, shall we? <laughs> ding, ding, dong, dong. Uh, Anita, how much have you heard about Brian Sorensen? If anything, what will he bring to Everton or what does he need to do at Everton? What he's going to bring, hopefully, to Everton is a real clear identity for their playing style, organise them probably better behind the ball, make them more solid defensively and and hopefully that they will just build a team that is together and, you know, can find their confidence again because there's a lot of individual players there who are top-class players. 
as you say, Anita, he has got a reputation for developing young players and creating a supportive club environment. That sounds exactly like what's needed as long as Everton support him. It's all very well him creating (laughs) a supportive environment. The support's got to come from Everton. (laughs) Exactly. And talking of managers, Rianne Skinner, she signed a new contract with Tottenham until 2024. Uh, Spurs, though, have had some bad news. Uh, Midfielder Rhea Percival picked up an ACL injury in a New Zealand match against Australia. Those, as you know, Anita, can be difficult to get over, can't they? So we wish her all the best recovering from that. On a lighter note, Tuesday, I've seen this all over social media this week, the 20-year anniversary of Bend It Like Beckham. I love this film. Kate didn't like it. Where were you on it, Anita? (laughs) It's iconic, isn't it? Yes! What's going on about? (laughs) Do you know what? I've got a really unreasonable dislike of Keira Knightley. And oh, is that I'm what it is? She just, she just ruined the whole thing for me. Even that early on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, mean I, I totally get that it that basically may have, may have on its own enlisted a million young people to play football over the years. I don't know. I totally get that, but I've got a really, as I say, unreasonable dislike. I must admit, I didn't like the unprofessionalism of the coach-player relationship triangle. Just yeah. too many stereotypes, <laughs> Lindsay. Too many. <laughs> think uh watched it blindly as a youngster so probably didn't pick up on all those subtleties <laughs> then but yes I agree with you 100% <laughs> but, but having met <laughs> but having met Juliet Stevenson since she's an amnesty ambassador I was literally like oh my god bend it like Beckham you know it's her mom it's Jules's mom it's her, Jules's mom I mean come on uh so yeah Fair play. All right, uh, there you go. Happy 20-year anniversary, Bend It Like Beckham. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Well, coming up this week, it's the FA Cup semi-finals, everyone. Uh, we get to see the two big title challengers fight it out for a place in the final as Arsenal hosts Chelsea on Sunday and the other semi-final, Man City, travel to West Ham. Anita, your thoughts on Arsenal, Chelsea. Both teams didn't win the Conti Cup or progress in the Champions League. So there is quite a lot at stake here, uh, no matter the small thing of the title race and everything still to play for in that as well but I suppose the only time that it wasn't close between them was last season's FA Cup final which was played this season in December where of course Chelsea were much the better team against Arsenal um, at Wembley so uh, there is that to bear in mind but the last time the two sides met very close nil-nil in February in the league who are you calling it then so let's just just say Arsenal-Chelsea who are you calling it for? Okay, I'm going to say Chelsea just because I think Past Chelsea. Allegiances. Yeah, <laughs> no, you know, I just think Chelsea love the cup, you know, the FA Cup, and they. I've been the part of the squad where they just show up, and it's like another level every time. Um, and I just think they have that mentality when it's cup for some reason that many players in the team just come alive, you know, and they've got goal scorers like Kerr, you know, who can make a single moment turn it into a goal from nothing in, in, in a lot of instances. So, yeah, I'm going to go with, with Chelsea, but I think whoever wins is it's going to have that psychological edge with regards to the title. Yeah, as well. really interesting. So, Hoops, you are saying that Man City are going to get the better of West Ham and you fancy them in the final. 
Yeah, fancy a Chelsea City final. It's the rivalry in women's football that we all love to watch. And I think that's going to be the final, to be honest. Well, to get the inside track from West Ham, producer Sophie Penny spoke to the Hammers' top scorer this season, Daniel Brunez Dutter. Here is Hasegawa. Has time to pick the cross into the area. Picks up Brunez They've done it. West Ham United score just before the break against Manchester City. And it's British Dotter. West Ham are looking to counter. That's certainly the gesturing from the bench. And there's no flag here. It's a chance for Evans. It's a last-ditch challenge, but only as far as Bjorn's done it. So Daniel Brunis-Dotter, thank you so much for joining us on the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. We're really excited to have you. Obviously, big game coming up, FA Cup semi-final against Manchester City. Obviously, it's a repeat of the 2019 final, the team you last played in the WSL. How excited are you to have another crack at Manchester City? Yeah, myself and the whole team is just looking forward to it. Um, We beat Man City in September. They beat us at home last game. So, yeah, I think we're just all looking forward uh, for the semifinals. Obviously, it's a big game. Cup games are always a bit different and all of us want to go to them play. So, um, yeah, it's just a big game and hopefully it's going to be a good one. You mentioned just there it is a repeat of the 2019 final. I wonder if any of the players in the team have kind of passed on any wisdom from that match or maybe their kind of sense of needing to have a bit of vengeance against Manchester City to the rest of the team? Yeah, probably. I mean, there's some. we still have some players who played that game in 2019. Uh, so I feel like, obviously, they probably want to revenge. But at the same time, I think they're, they're kind of in the present now, you know. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know how much they're look, um, thinking about the, the past. But, yeah, I think we're just all focused on getting good results. But obviously, it's been strange. Like leading up to the to the game, we have more than half of the team on internationals and only a few players at Chatwell training. So, uh, and and probably the same for Man City. So, I think for both teams, it's going to be an interesting build up to the game. Is that a kind of frustration to have to come away from the side just ahead of a, a big game? Or are people's skills sharpened by being with the international team? What's the kind of reaction? Um, obviously, it's better to have a good uh, prep before the game. I think we're going to have uh, the whole team together on uh, the day before the game. Um, so obviously, that, that's a bit challenging. But I think what... What makes a bit the prep a bit easier is that we played them right before international break, so we know what we're going into, and and I think yeah, we do not need as much time just because we just played them. And I wanted to ask you about that game when you you just played them, and perhaps what you can take from that game and and kind of improve in in the FA Cup. There were perhaps a couple of defensive errors that that could have been avoided, and obviously it's difficult when you're out of possession so much and potentially would be mm-hmm. wanting a few more shots on target. So I'm wondering what you can what you can take from that uh, last WSL game against Manchester City into this FA Cup semi final. Yeah, it was interesting because when, when we put them away in September, we barely had the ball at all, but we got a few chances and we finished those chances. While when we played them at home, we had 
much more of the ball, way more than in the in the first game. And then, yeah, we had some errors in 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 the defensively. But like we, sh- I feel like we're strong defensively on set pieces, and we shouldn't be conceded conceding a goal on that. And then, um, yeah, the first goal they scored that was an error as well. Um, and I feel like we could have been there was a midfielder who scored a goal where we didn't pick her up in the box. So I think I think yeah, those are like small details. We 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 have to make sure we have it all sorted because Man City have great players, great squad, and and, and if we give them any mistakes or we're not switched on, they're going to punish us for that. And and I think on the other end of the box, um, we need to be a bit more clinical. We need to um, connect the final pass a bit better, and then uh, yeah, get some of our chances either shots or headers on goal because I don't think we we tested the keeper at all in last game. So I think, yeah, at least at least we need to test her at least because if we don't get it on frame, we're not going to score. Is there a slight sense of frustration from you? It seems like you know what you could be doing and you know you have the potential to be putting that pressure on the keeper and not to be making those errors. Is there a sort of perhaps a sense of, you know, we, we could be doing a lot better? Yeah, and, and I think that comes also a bit just to the final pass. I think maybe the, when we have had, yeah, like through balls, they're either a bit too hard, a bit too soft, the crosses are not going into the right areas or either they're too long, don't make it over the first player. Um, just like small details like that. And then, I mean, in last game, we scored a goal when we had two strikers or two of our forwards, both running to the same ball. One was offside, the other one was not. Um, and then they were one we won against the keeper. So just like small stuff like that, like we need to sort it out because we might not get that many chances. So we need to take them when we get them. Definitely. And that's something that you have been doing throughout the season. Obviously, you're West Ham's leading scorer for, for this season. So I'm wondering personally what threats you want to bring in this match against Manchester City. Is it, you know, using your skill in the air? Is it trying to kind of convert those those chances? What what can you personally bring bring to this big game? Yeah, I think um, I can bring energy work ethic. Uh, win duels in the air on the ground and just kind of like break down their their attack and then hopefully I'll have some chances with my late runs into the box I didn't get any chances in in last game so hopefully hopefully I can at least have one shot or one header on target the next game and it, ha- it has been those runs have been working well for you throughout the season I think everyone's been impressed with yeah, your form it has been working well and, yeah I mean I have six six goals uh, so far but I think earlier in the season I was lo- uh, missing some of my chances where I think I could have done a bit better so but then the final they start coming you know um, so I think later on in the season I did a better job of finishing my chances so hopefully hopefully I'll keep getting the chances um both just like getting good balls into the box, but also I think it's up to me as well to make good runs and being at the right spot when the ball comes in. This is a different kind of occasion, like you mentioned before. You know, it's not just another WSL game. It is a FA Cup semi-final. You're obviously used to playing big games. I wonder if you have maybe a way that you deal with that pressure. I know some some people have silly things like quotes or songs they listen to or things like that. Do you have anything fun you do? No, you know, so before I was a mom, maybe I had something. But I feel like after I became a mom, I'm just like, it's just like an annual football match. And I think um, I played so many big games. So 
in the end, as soon as the game starts, it's just like a, yeah, it's just like any other football match. Just you have more to play for, basically. And for us at West Ham, obviously, we're just in the middle of the league. We're we're not going to end up the bottom. We're not going to end up the top. So I feel like this is a huge game for us if we want to make anything or make something out of the season. Obviously, it's been way better than last season, but this is the only trophy we can play for at the moment. So, so I think, um, yeah, we just need to need to show up and make sure we bring our A game. Yeah, you're right. It is a massive opportunity for the team, definitely. And you, you mentioned being a mum there, and I know you, you talk about it a lot. I just wondered whether your son will be there watching the semi-final and also having him there and things like that. Does that actually help you when you're on the pitch, you know, when you're in these big games? How, how does it contribute to you? Um, yeah, he he will be there in the in the stands. And yeah, I just think, yeah, it helps me a lot because I just feel like I've something more to play for, you know. I'm playing for myself, the club, obviously, and my teammates. Um, but... At the same time, I'm wasting my time with him. So I feel like while I'm playing and he's in the stand watching, I actually don't really know how much he's, he doesn't really watch much, <laughs> but at least he's in the stand. <laughs> so I, I, I want to make the most out of the time and, and not waste 90 plus minutes being sad or miserable after the game. I want to give my everything, hopefully celebrate afterwards. And yeah, just give everything to to make the make it worth it you know that's amazing and and I know you get asked a lot about being a mum in the in the WSL and I just wondered obviously some people say you know men male players wouldn't get asked about you know being being a father things like that do you think it's important to talk about do you get fed up talking about it what's your reaction to that I just think it's important to talk about it because to show like it is possible it is hard but it is possible Obviously, the men, they do not carry the baby, do not do the comeback, you know. So they don't really know what we have to go through. I mean, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. I thought it was like coming back after an injury, but it's way harder. And then obviously, uh, for me, it kind of depends. Like I can show up in training after I've slept four hours because my son had a nightmare or got sick or something, you know. So... um, well, maybe on the men's side, the they just have a nanny or the wife takes care of them, you know, while they get a good night's sleep. Um, and and obviously my husband helps out a lot, but in the end, my son is a mommy's boy, so I feel like <laughs> if, if something goes on, like he needs me, you know. Um, and then then obviously I want to be there for him as well. So so yeah, I just think um, also just yeah, show show. Other women, like if, if they want to do both, if they want to start a family and have a football career, it is possible. But obviously you have to have a good support system, club that can support you. And yeah, it's it's a, a lot of work. And, and all of a sudden you you can't be selfish. You're not number one, two or three. All of a sudden there, you have a kid that's number one, two and three. And then football comes number four and you're maybe number five, six, seven, you know. So, but I, I still think... It's more fun after you have a kid, <laughs> just to do both. <laughs> more, more fun in, in what way? Just like, I don't know, it's just, I feel like you you just don't take anything for granted, you know. Um, maybe before you you show up to every training, every game, and it was just a normal thing to do. While now, like, you want to, every 
training counts, every game counts. And, and yeah, you, you, you never know, like, if, if you have a good night's sleep, you have to make sure the training is going to be amazing, you know? I wanted to ask you about sleep, actually, because I know that West Ham's employed a sleep specialist. And I thought Mm -hmm. it was quite funny to have a sleep specialist when you're a mother with a young child. I mean, how much can they can they actually help you? Have you learned a lot from that? Yeah. So he was actually a bit surprised because I became a better sleeper after I became a mom. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I sleep better after games. And and but I think that's a part of like I can't. I cannot go, fall asleep too late because then I'm going to be screwed the day after. But luckily, uh, my son, since he was born, I think he started sleeping through the night when he was five months old. Uh, and he sleeps like 11, 12 hours every night, almost every night. So I think now, yeah, I've been able to sleep quite well. Um, it's just like he knew that's what I needed, you know. And then like if I just make sure I go to bed early enough, then then I'll get eight hours. And obviously, um, when it happened, like last week, it happened, he got a nightmare, came to my bed at 4 a.m., something he's not used to. And then kind of the day after, I'm screwed, you know, tired in training and, and weather wasn't great either. And and then the, the day, like the training the day after is quite miserable. But at the same time, I, I you just have to like go through it and make the best out of it, you know. But yeah, but maybe I'm also just like, kind of lucky because he's a good sleeper so when he doesn't sleep through the night then then I'm not I'm not used to it anymore (laughs) (laughs) and what what kind of things are you learning from the sleep specialist yeah it's really interesting I mean um he helps us with while we're traveling to like adjust the to time time difference and obviously um players like not all of them have have the same experience with with traveling so uh, yeah they can get help with that and then it helps us helps us with um I, I actually learned a lot with the pillows like they matter a lot and yeah really? uh, and and as an athlete like he was saying we should sleep on the side like not on the stomach which it's kind of interesting he was saying how bad it is for the back hips and knees and could it go all the way down to the ankles when you we sleep on our backs or oh, on right. our stomach so just like stuff like that that you wouldn't really think about I feel like a lot of people are going to be adjusting their sleep from, from hearing this. <laughs> Obviously, we were talking earlier about about your son, and and I know that when you were a child, you you supported West Ham, and you had your best friend Thomas who convinced you to support West Ham. First of all, what what was Thomas's reaction to you reaching the FA Cup semi-finals, and and also what would what would little Daniel be thinking when you know seeing that you've now you've now reached the FA Cup semi-finals with West Ham? Yeah, obviously Thomas and, and and his dad, they were just happy. But of course, they they're just like, you need to make it to Wembley now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's it's awesome to to make it to the semifinals. But I don't know. I'm this type of athlete. Like, I want to win it all, you know. Um, so at the moment, I'm not like, yay, I'm in the semifinals. Like, I just want to win, you know. So that's what I'm aiming for. So hopefully, hopefully, we go all the way and. It would just be a d- dream come true if if we make it to Wembley and I can have my son in the centre there. Well, best of luck for the FA Cup semi-final. Daniel Brunner's daughter, thank you so much. Thank you. That was producer Sophie Penny speaking to West Ham's Daniel Brunner's daughter. Uh, nice bits on being a mum there from Daniel and the tweaks 
that the side need to make as well. I thought she gave a really good assessment of that. The big headline for me, though, slightly ridiculous, but the sleep coach and whether Lindsay Hooper and Ita Asante, you're going to change how you sleep now. You're not allowed to sleep on your front. It's got to be the side. I mainly sleep on my side anyway, but I'm a bit of a tosser and turner. So I sometimes will flop over onto the front and then go back <laughs> on the side again, then go on the other side. I'm, I'm one of those. Um, you're basically a nightmare to share a bed with about me. <laughs> I don't want to say anything around. I never Uh, used to be. I never used to be, but more so. (laughs) Anita, do you have a preferred sleeping position? And and actually have, have um, you ever benefited from a sleep coach or anything like that? Yeah, I have benefited from a sleep coach during my time at Chelsea when they brought a specialist in to to talk to us and monitor for a month. We had these watch things on uh, to see, you know, how quickly we get to sleep and how much deep sleep and all of that stuff. But yeah, I'm also a side sleeper. I really can't sleep on my, my stomach at all. It's, no, I can't sleep. on No, my I find either. it so uncomfortable. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And we yeah. all know what happens if you sleep on your back. <sighs> <laughs> I'm probably guilty of that sometimes. <laughs> I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, and also pillows are key apparently as well. Who knew? Check out, check out your pillows, folks, is the moral of that story. I would say that's quite an obvious one. You need <laughs> I a don't know, pillow. a pillow's a pillow, isn't it? Oh, no, no, it's definitely not a pillow. No. Pillow's not just a pillow. (laughs) I need to catch up. I need to catch up. Um, I'm afraid we're going to have to leave that pillow talk right here. Uh, That's all we have time for on this week. That is the best gag you've done in years, Lindsay. (laughs) (laughs) And you interrupted it. That's all we have time for on this week's Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Thank you very much, Anita. Uh, What have you got on the rest of the week? Are you going to be at either of those FA Cup semifinals? Oh, yeah, I'm going to make it my duty to get to Chelsea Arsenal. But, yeah, I'll just be uh, training away, looking forward to receiving all our internationals back at Villa. Yeah, best of luck for the rest of the season uh, to you and Villa as well. And remember, uh, listeners, you can download us, give us your thoughts as well. So you can find us on any decent podcasting platform via Twitter as well, at The Athletic UK and at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, We appreciate any reviews and support you give us as usual. Yeah, we always appreciate those. Thank you very much for listening to this one. Bye for now. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a NOW Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.